He was brought in to unite Italy, but Prime Minister Mario Draghi has resigned, triggering snap elections. What's behind the latest political drama? And who stands to gain the most from the turmoil? I'm Deri Nabugeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from Rome is Michele Geracci, who's a former undersecretary at Italy's Economic Development Ministry. From Verona, Eleonora Polli, head of economic analysis at the Center for European Policy. And also from Rome, Giovanni Orsina, the director of the School of Government and a professor of contemporary history at Luis Guido Carli University. Warm welcome to you all. Thank you so much for your time with us on uh, Inside Story. Uh, Michele Geracci, over to you first. So uh, Draghi is credited by some with really restoring Italy's credibility on the world stage. But his critics would say he was a technocrat and he couldn't uh, play the part of a politician, especially when it came to dealing with parliament. What do you think went wrong? Uh, What went wrong was that uh, this current government was formed during the uh, COVID uh, crisis, where pretty much the interests of the whole country, of all political parties, were aligned. And so we formed this government of national unity. Now, after the COVID crisis was, uh, in a way, likely uh, overcome, then the differences between the parties started to emerge because a coalition with six or seven parties, many of them kept on splitting to form a smaller and smaller party, of course, uh, was becoming unsustainable. And this was the premises for the difficult then relationship between Draghi that was placed there by uh, the president Mattarella to to lead the parliament and now the second stage of the parliament actually wanting to lead the government and so the conflict was uh, created. Right. Um, Giovanni Orsina, was there any choice for for Draghi uh, except resignation? Uh, no, eventually there was not a choice because it was very clear that his majority had fallen apart. One could argue that when the the problem started setting in, which is uh, last week, uh, with the first no no vote of confidence, which was it was not really a vote of no confidence, it was a non vote of confidence actually, by the five star movements, I think he could have played it uh, softer. And if he had played it softer, I think he had some more choices to remain uh, as prime minister. But it is also clear that he had understood that. Uh, uh, anyways, government would be weakened and we'd be worn out by the situation. And it was also, I think, personally quite tired about all that. So he was, in a way, torn between his personal preference, which seemed to be to go away, and the national interest, of course, which was pulling him uh, in, its, in its position. Uh, so when he started resigning last week and then uh, with his speech the day before yesterday, on Wednesday, at the Senate, uh, I mean, in, in a way, hastened the pace, or at least he made the task easier for those who wanted to get rid of him. Right. Just, uh, I'll stay with you for just a moment, because I wonder if you can explain what you mean by he could have played it softer, because there was a run-in, uh, Giovanni, with the Five Star Movement, and that ultimately triggered the entire crisis. Then, according to reports, the leaders of both the Northern League and of Forza Italia issued a statement giving Draghi their support. However, that support came with conditions. So he was in a really tough position, was he not? That was at the end of the crisis. But in order to get to this position that you are describing, there was a path, in a way, that led the country there. 
For instance, uh, when last week the Five Star didn't vote the confidence, they also said they wanted to go on supporting the government. So there was no need for Draghi to resign. He could have only opened up a negotiation in order to build up his majority. That was the softer option, but he wanted to resign. Of course, his resignation was refused by the President of the Republic, but nonetheless, resigning dramatized the crisis. Uh, on Wednesday, he did a rather tough speech uh, towards the League and Berlusconi's Forza Italia. And also in that, he was basically, in a way, making it more difficult for them to stay in the majority. And then on Wednesday, in his second intervention in the Senate, he was very tough on the five-star movement. And also in the case, with a softer intervention, he might have tried to win back the five-star movement. So there were moments in this very tactical game in which he could have left the door a bit more open, and uh, he remained very, very strict for reasons that are understandable. Of course, he wanted to make it very clear for the political parties that they had, if they wanted to go on supporting him, they had to do what he wanted. So uh, what he did is understandable. Nonetheless, this is part of the, let's say, uh, the development of the crisis. Okay. Uh, Eleonora, uh, a resignation now accepted by the president. Where are we in terms of the process of how Italy now heads to another election? Yes, we are going to have another election by September 25, and Draghi will remain in power to do like current work until the date of the election. Uh, as far as the election is concerned, I believe that there is a, a huge chance that a coalition of the right-wing parties might win. The coalition will be probably led by the Brothers of Italy, which has gained uh, an exceptional support during uh, the last years, considering that he has passed from the party has passed from 4% in 2019 to most, almost 22% today. And this was also related to the fact that the party was at the opposition of the government. And then, you know, the other parties that will form the coalition will be the League, which has been losing power, and uh, Fratelli d'Italia, led by uh, former Prime Minister Berlusconi. Right. So we will see what's going to happen, but it's likely that a right-wing coalition might take the power. I do want to talk about the right-wing parties in a moment, Eleonora, but just one more for you. I mean, uh, just on, on the process right now and what happens next, how long do you think it's going to actually take to form a new government? It depends, in the sense that it depends on how much the right-wing coalition might win, uh, of course, and then, you know, its capacity to form a coherent government. So it can take weeks or months, I think. Okay. Uh, this, of course, is quite risky in terms of credibility of Italy in this really uh, tough moment at the international level for, you know, all the reasons that we know. Okay. Um, uh, Michele, so obviously a period of instability ahead. Which parties do you think are going to take credit for what's developed over the past few days? And who do you think uh, benefits from all of this? I don't think uh, parties are like uh, fighting to get credit for this, because on one hand, uh, four, three, four parties in a way 
where the agent of Draghi uh, fall out. On the other hand, they also supported him if he had made some concessions, like Giovanni was mentioning before. So there is no really political uh, capital to be gained by claiming to be the uh, agent of Draghi's collapse just because of his reputation. So all parties are shying away from claiming the victory and concentrating already on the uh, campaign. You ask me who will win, I agree with Eleanor, it will most likely be the centre-right uh, coalition that uh, could actually take a vast majority of the parliament because if they go together, they together cross the 40% threshold, they gain a little bit of an extra premium. So the number of members of the parliament could be higher than the proportion of votes that they receive. Also, because the left wing are in a way disunited, it used to be that the Democratic Party could go ahead with the five-star movement. Now, this is not likely to be. So we have you know, a breakdown of coalition on the left side and that favour the right-wing uh, government. That's why I think uh, out of this crisis, uh, they are the ones uh, who will gain uh, the most benefit. But, uh, Michele, how do you explain the rise of the far right in Italy? Because, from what I understand, the Brothers of Italy, the, the, that's the furthest party to the right, just uh, for our viewers, um, they, they went from about 4% of the vote in 2018 in the general election to now becoming the biggest party in opinion polls, at least. How do you explain this rise? Um, the main reason is uh, when uh, you have a crisis, we had economic crisis, COVID crisis, uh, the war, uh, the sanctions that will hurt the Italian economy, the gas, uh, everything. The only thing you need to do to gain votes uh, is to stay in the opposition. So in a way, Giorgia Meloni uh, was uh, lucky and maybe smart not to be part of the Draghi uh, government in 2021. 16 months uh, ago. And of course, she reaped the benefit of uh, collecting the anger that in the meantime developed in Italy. You mentioned before the reputation of Draghi in the international arena, which is true because, of course, uh, he's a man that has led the, the European Central Bank and so on. But within Italy, um, we have a discontent growing. Uh, only two weeks ago, we had the massive taxi drivers protested that pretty much blocked the whole center of Rome with tourists, you know, getting into chaos. We have the people who complain still about the way that the government dealt with the lockdown, the COVID crisis. And so for Giorgia Meloni, almost irrespective of her views, irrespective of the content, just being in the opposition almost gives you five to 10% points just for not being in the government. Right, Giovanni, is that how you see things? I mean, this, this, um, um, this leader of the, the right-wing party, the Brothers of Italy, Meloni, she's, her party's accused of attracting uh, the support of neo-fascists. She holds nationalist views on migration, social, as well as cultural issues. Does she appeal to the Italian voters, Giovanni? I, I think, I mean, Michele was right but I would qualify some of the things that he was saying. Um, Italy is a right-wing country, and the, count, the, the right-wing is a majority in Italy, has always been. And already in the elections of 2018, uh, it was a, a very near miss for the center-right coalition of the absolute majority. So we should start from that. 
these are votes that are moving inside the right. They're moving from the League to from Forza Italia to the League to Brothers of Italy. So basically, these are right-wing votes that have always stayed inside the right and that are moving from one party to the other. Now, uh, originally they uh, were in Berlusconi's Forza Italia, but Berlusconi is now 85. Uh, so this is a story that is coming to its close. And so many votes were actually going out from Forza Italia. Between 2018 and 2019, many of those votes went to the league. Uh, and uh, in that moment, Salvini was uh, the, the league's leader, was actually looking like uh, the person in charge to the right. But Salvini made a number of quite serious uh, political mistakes. And since 2019, those votes are started moving from Salvini to Giorgia Meloni. These are the same votes which Salvini had in 2018, 2019, and even Berlusconi had earlier than that. Uh, there are neo-fascists in Italy, but this is a very tiny minority. And when we are speaking of a center-right that is credited by the electoral polls of 45, 47%, actual neo-fascists maybe are 2% of that. So right. this is not neo-fascist vote. Giorgia Meloni is not a neo-fascist. That is a national conservative party, right-wing, certainly clearly right-wing party, national conservative, inside the boundaries of a liberal democracy. Right. And uh, in this moment, Italians clearly want to be governed by at least those that part of Italy that has always been right-wing, now thinks that Giorgia Meloni is the more credible leader uh, of a right-wing. Let's look a little I bit outside of I wouldn't of dramatize Italy. that. Okay, let's, let's well, mm -hmm. let me bring in Elo, um, Eleonora, because Ma if you look at Mario Draghi's past, he has been a supporter of Ukraine, for example. He played a key role in the G7, as well as NATO and the EU. So if there were to be a lurch to the right in Italy, then would these policies change drastically? Well, let me just add something. I think that, you know, the reason why Giorgia Meloni has been has reached such a level of support is because of social discontent that has started with COVID, but was based also on the economic crisis and migration crisis Italy has been living. To this, you have to add, you know, the effect of the Ukrainian war and the rising prices of energy and food. And of course, the effect of the reforms Draghi was doing were not still um, somehow understandable by everyday citizens in the sense that the effect will take some, a while, you know, for, for normal people to see. As far as, you know, the foreign, foreign agenda is concerned, I believe that if, you know, we are going to have a right-wing government, um, I don't think Italy, I don't see Italy changing completely its position towards Russia. I think Giorgia Meloni was clear, pretty clear in condemning Putin um, and also, you know, Salvini, the leader of the league, even though he was one of the mostly pro-Russian leaders in Italy, he has changed somehow his view. So I don't see Italy becoming pro-Russian now. What I see is a change in the positioning of Italy within the EU, in the sense that those parties have been for years, you know, considered Eurosceptic, and although their positions have been somehow watered during the crisis in the sense that they don't declare so much to be so much anti-European. They still believe in a sort of European Union composed by nation states. So, you know, each country should, you know, look at its national interest instead of looking for a common interest. 
And this, you know, could place Italy in a sort of group of countries complaining about sanctions, for instance, which are which are having, you know, economic bad economic impact on national economy. This, I believe, it's possible, but I don't see Italy leading such a coalition. I see Italy becoming part of a bigger group if this bigger group is going to be formed somehow. Right. Michele, what does this caretaker resignation mean now for the government's ability to take on initiatives? For example, uh, as you know, Italy is the biggest recipient of the EU's COVID recovery fund. Uh, but seeing as that money is tied to certain reforms that Italy must take, uh, do you think that Italians might lose out on the next installment? No, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, the current uh, government can carry on with the normal uh, you know, processes. I don't think the money is at risk. Of course, there will be a new government and the new government will decide what to do with this recovery fund. I tell you, my view is uh, uh, very maybe different from what you may have heard. Uh, the money that we get from the European Union First of all, it is money that ultimately comes from the financial market. The European Union raises funds in the market and then passes uh, part of the money back to the member states. So the ultimate uh, investors are the financial markets, uh, like uh, it happens normally. The European Union is kind of an intermediary, kind of plays the role of almost an investment bank uh, underwriting the, the debt. Uh, the whole recovery fund, in my view, has been uh, done in the wrong way. We first, Italy, chased to uh, borrow as much money as possible, 200 billion, almost 191. And now uh, Italy has been looking at ways to invest that money. And let me tell you, as a professor of finance, this is exactly the, the thing that uh, uh, my students, uh, if they did, they would fail uh, finance one-to-one uh, -one in the first year. You do the other way around. You first list the projects, you rank them according to the highest return. You see how much money you need. You cut a line to the projects that do not go over a certain hurdle rate. Right. Look at how much money you need, and then you go and borrow it. So this recovery plan actually needs to be relooked at it because it's very inefficient. It's a debt which is certain, and returns that are very uncertain, and even draggy with his own signature, uh, admitted that this has a fiscal multiplier of 0.9. So basically we borrow, do round numbers, 200 billion, right, but and we get back Just for the sake of time, let me jump in there, because I suppose the question that I have now for Giovanni, and, and then I'll come over to Eleonora, um, is that, do you think that the, the uh, Giovanni, first to you, is, is this all a big blow to, uh, to the government's ability to continue to deliver policies and reforms in the near term, at least? Uh, well, in the near term, of course, this government now is a caretaker government that is there to do what is going to uh, what is called the ordinary administration. So certainly uh, in the month of August and September, uh, while there is still the Draghi's government, we cannot expect very, very deep reforms. I mean, part of the next generation, you most of it, I think, is, is ruled by automatic mechanisms. So that part will just roll on. Uh, the other reforms that are underway may, might be completed if the parties are agreed. But certainly, in the let, let's say in the next two three months, I would not expect any any reform because there is no the, not the political possibility 
okay. to enact any reform. Okay, let me bring in Eleonora. Final words to you. What do you expect to happen in the, in the next few months? And you know, give us a sense of what it's like in Verona. Um, are people paying attention to yet another government collapse? <laughs> Well, if you talk to citizens, actually, there is, a, um, I don't know, a, a double feeling. On the one hand, there are the ones that really, truly believe in Draghi. And it was like the 50% of the Italians who really believe that he could change, you know, the face of the country, uh, but did, did not like, you know, the coalition government for many reasons, you know, because many of the sustain of Draghi came from the left wing or the right wing. So, of course, it was difficult to them to see how this government with different parties could govern the country. On the other, however, you have other citizens that do not understand, you know, political landscape and again, did not see the benefit, basically, right. of Italy becoming more aligned with, you know, the Western or Atlantic powers, like it happens. They just see, you know, raising prices of oils and, you know, uh, higher, you know, food prices. And for them, you know, they are not touched, you know, by this political crisis, actually. And I think those are also the ones that are going to vote, you know, for Brothers of Italy in the sense that this miscontent or, you know, um, discontent about, you know, the current situation will result in a protest vote, basically, okay. that support the only party that was outside this coalition. We'll have to leave it there on that note. Thank you so much for joining us, Michele Geraci, Eleonora Poli and Giovanni Orsino. We thank you so much. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Eng, Nihad Al-Abadi, Iseba Mertzayeva, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Alexander Otasevich, Lin Guyin, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.